0: We are talking about one of the films that premiered at the Sydney Film Festival, which is Good Time, which will be premiering or having its general cinema release in Australia in August and will also be on Netflix later in the year. And from what I've heard, it was Pats, Robert Pattinson's best performance to date.
1: I haven't, to be honest, been impressed by him that much before. It seems like every time there's a new film from Robert Pattinson, the hype is always that, oh, this time you're going to see a new face to Robert Pattinson. But this time, we actually do see a new face, a hobo face. And also, new hair. New hair as well. And fortunately, the looks are um, actually matched by the performance. He's really good in this, right, right?
2: I do agree. I mean, wow, we agree on something, Chris. I know, this, this is it's new surprising, but here we are. I mean, uh, I thought it's about time that we actually agreed on something. But yes, I do agree. I think good time and it's beautiful colors. I think it is something in the way it's shot. And yeah. that's something as an aesthetic experience that I really enjoyed. It did was a good time
1: it was indeed to fill in for listeners good time is from the Safdie brothers who are known for much smaller scale independent uh dialogue driven cinema so far and this film is a big shift for them Benny Safdie one of the directors stars as the brother of Robert Pattinson
2: it's basically a modern take on of nice and men
1: Essentially, yes, because he is the... he's. It's a in, heist film of some sort. That's right. It's about Robert Pattinson helping his brother, who is mentally disabled.
2: Yeah, I'm, I was a bit on the fence about uh, the portrayal of that kind of character, which let's be honest, was kind of on the nose.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it, fortunately, it is kept to a minimum in the film, and the focus is mostly on the propulsive forward momentum of the narrative, which is about Robert Pattinson's efforts to make enough money over the course of one night to, get to bail his brother out of prison because he fears for his safety.
2: Yeah, in that sense, it's a very, very clever plot device, and it does work very well because you know that time is running out, and yet it's given a very emotional heft. So yeah. that was very interesting.
1: It takes place mostly over the course of one night, and it's re- got some beautiful ways of capturing the night visually. The whole film has a neon glow. There's these glorious uh, helicopter shots. Yes. Right, sweeping. It's all about sweeping cars uh, through city streets at night and like sleazy late-night establishments. Taxis at four in the morning, yeah. security ever, guys ever doing the night uh, shift,
0: drug dealers.
2: Ever since The Neon Demon, I think neon lighting has become quite big in indie cinema.
0: Yeah, but, it's interesting because you're seeing, in, it's more the domain of television where it's over the course of one night, bite-sized episodes, but we're seeing film now, definitely a lot of directors who've been in television or who've liked that medium going to the noirist. What can we do before the day breaks?
1: Yeah, um, it's very Michael Mann who interest, does have a background in television. I'm, I'm setting this now as on the agenda for Film Fight Club. We're going to fight about Miami Vice. I'm going to make you guys oh, like that y- film.
0: Yes, we have a Best Bad Movie segment. We talked about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Miami Vice. is still. We'll the least, next they one. We can also talk about PTA and Inherent Vice, Ooh. which is also <laughs> another fight that should be had. I, I'd definitely be up to fight and, about that. And but, if you do have suggestions for fights, please send them our way. We're very keen to hear what you think. Exactly.
1: But going back to um, the kind of Miami Vice-ish, Michael Mann-ish, TV-ish look of this film, it's interestingly almost entirely in close-ups, which is usually something I hate. I see that as a mark of laziness in contemporary film and of the some of the negative aspects of the influence of television. That movie should restrict their visual palette simply to close-ups of, of whoever's talking at the moment. But this film actually takes it in an interesting direction because the close-ups are so intense... Yes. It's and, a claustrophobic experience.
2: It is, and also at the same time, it's a challenging thing for the actor, especially Robert Pattinson, who was criticized in his early in his career for having a wooden face. Right.
0: So, you know, for yeah. yeah. well, him to actually show expression was a big deal. Yeah, this was not a plus for the Twilight series. It was literally just told,
1: stand and look broody for two hours. <laughs> right, right. But you loved it, Glenn. You loved the Twilight series. Let's but, be honest. We're, we're live, Bharat. <laughs> in this movie, he... Uh, He manages to avoid being overly broody in a role that easily could have been. Yes. And he does actually show that... Perhaps the hype was right after all, because he can sustain these intense close-ups. Without going into spoilers, how did we feel about some of the twists and turns over the course of the film? Because it goes in some very unexpected directions, which I think will be a challenge to people expecting a more conventional heist film.
2: Yes, I I, I think the pacing was difficult to adjust to, but once you do, it really does take you on. I think it takes you by the hand, Mm. which is not something you expect heist films to do. I think heist films have this sort of very crash-bam narrative that... Almost propel your expectations. But here, you have a very controlled pace in that sense, and the roller coaster effect is something that you can't expect.
1: Yeah, and. The Probably the most conventional heist film enjoyment comes in the form of an extended flashback as someone tells the story of a bunch of bad things that have happened to him. Uh, but whenever the movie starts going into these more conventional movie pleasures, the rug is pulled out from under us by some, I, I think, quite brilliant plotting. That yeah, comes I, into I think it. it's
2: unfair to call it a heist film because the ending was not a regular heist film ending. It's very, very nuanced. yeah, And also unexpected.
1: It's unexpected and, and actually packs quite an emotional punch.
2: Yeah, in that sense, I think I was very surprised by how unheisty the film was. Because when you go in with that kind of genre expectation, you already have set your limitations of what a film can and can't achieve. And this film definitely exceeded that expectation. So maybe in that sense, that's why it was better than I thought it would be. Maybe... That's very mm.
0: clever in that playfulness. Because people have been talking about it as one of the best films to come out of the festival. I mean, Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: I will say, as much as I always enjoy the Sydney Film Festival, that this was in some ways, as me and Varad have discussed, a bit of an average year. Um, I don't think The Good Time is an extraordinary film, but I think it's definitely a good time oh <laughs> wow we're breaking be, out the quality puns. we' gonna
0: use that once though
1: it, 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 <laughs> it uses it wears its influences on its sleeves but in other ways it really is a true original I confess that I haven't caught up as much as I should have with the Safties, by which I mean I haven't seen anything they've done before this and I'm really keen to catch up on what they've done before and see where they go next because this is real announcing them as an a significant voice in american genre movies which i kind of feel like we haven't had in a while i I agree but also going back to the sydney film festival what is most striking is that
2: there were so many political films at the festival that was so heavy on the nose and i think because of that good time was just a breath of fresh air because it was nothing like that
0: Fantastic. Mm. So, Good Time will be in cinemas in the coming months and streaming on Netflix. Yep, August, I believe. and Unless it changes, it's August. My
2: birthday (laughs) month. Cancel
0: it in, folks. Cancel it in, yes. And speaking of our pets, uh, our next fight, we'll be talking about some of our favorite child actors, some of our favorite child stars. And it is incredible how so many, including... Robert Pattinson have gone from a series where they very much recognize very much be known how they came to be famous household name, but in their subsequent careers have successfully gone so far beyond that. And we're just wondering who did that best?
2: Yes, and I'm surprised that I'm making a case with Robert Pattinson, who I just described minutes ago as having a wooden face. So think about that for a second. How far has he come from having an expressionless face to an expressionful face?
1: What did you think of him in Cosmopolis?
2: I loved his performance, I didn't love the film. So I think.
1: Interesting, okay.
2: But also yeah. at the same time, he has been. Very clever in his role choices because he knows his limitations. And I think for a good performer, that's something you can use to your advantage because you know what kind of expectation you're going for.
0: But he's someone who's also dramatically try to go beyond expectations. I mean, The Rover, which is, again was at the City Film Festival a year ago, one of my favorite RPATS films. The Ro- and- oh, sorry, The Rover in Good Time would be an interesting of Mice and Men double feature,
1: wouldn't
2: it? Yeah, With yes, R-Pats yeah. in both roles. And, yes. a- and actually, very similar kind of genre subversion as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But my favorite, and again, well, we'll talk about the City Film first again. My favorite Arpad's film of recent years, and I think we might have seen it together, is Childhood of a Leader. Now, as good as he was, the score was the best part of it, and it's just incredible. Download the score if you haven't seen it got it already. But he uh, he was just phenomenal.
2: And he had a sort of, uh, you know. A- cameo kind of role in it he didn't have a major sort of screen time they lied to left. me in the marketing when I mean, does that <laughs> ever happen no. Oh. no no but actually at the same time i think this was one of the more clever cameos to be used because yes the score was amazing but i mean to see robert Pattinson in a sort of skinhead avatar was
0: kind of confronting yeah, and he played, a, like I guess, a couple, a couple some interesting roles in this film. And in a film where you had some very major actors, very major performers, and a very intense script, even given his screen time, he had the strongest impact. That's something that's very hard to do.
2: Actually, like uh, if I think back to, on, on it, I think this is still one of the films that haunts me to this day because the narrative was... It's quite an amazing film. If you haven't seen it. Please do watch it. It's one of the best Arpad's films I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, not even an Arpad's films because he's just got a money droll in it. So it's just a good film with Arpad's in it.
0: But uh, not all of us here think Arpad, well, as good as he's done, has done the best.
1: Yeah, um, I, I might change that opinion based on Good Time. But let's let's say up until since Good Time officially hasn't been released, and we're just time travelers to have spoken about it. I'll argue that the person, the, references. Yeah, the person who's left the, the biggest impression on me in terms of surprising me is probably Daniel Radcliffe with his last few films. He Like Robert Pattinson, he's another person who I felt was struggling to shake off the image that he'd built up and redefining himself with a bunch of poorly th- thought out, poorly chosen bad boy roles. But uh,
0: Horns was the real deal, I think. Horns, and, but for me, um, and I'll say it, my favourite film of last year... Swiss Army Man.
2: Yeah, that was very divisive. I mean, he played a farting
0: corpse, Clem. <laughs> he did. He did exceptionally well.
2: Yeah, for a farting corpse. I mean, <laughs> what, what can you do? But this thing, he, he,
0: he had very little to play with throughout the film. His character didn't develop so much as you would hope, but still, it was a hugely emotional film, and he yeah. was the bedrock of that in so many ways.
2: I would, I would say Paul Dana was the bedrock of that film, and I think that's one other character, or actually actor, who I feel hasn't got his due yet.
1: He was fantastic in Okja. Yes, yep. and and, and uh, of Love and Mercy too on it's Netflix from tomorrow. Yep, and Love and Mercy exactly. He yeah, he definitely has a lot of talent. Uh, Ruby Sparks as well. Yeah. I he ele- love Ruby Sparks. Yeah, he he elevates. Write it everywhere. Yes.
0: Watch Ruby Sparks. Yeah, we, we we're back to Radcliffe. I mean, he. Yeah, because because Dano wasn't was Dano yeah. a child star? I don't know. No, not really. He is not really. That. We He's just yeah. called we, him we, a we child. You no, know, he
1: was in he was in Little Miss Sunshine as the one that no the emo kid. There we go. No Stalk. Yes, Yes, yeah, um, <laughs> he, he qualifies. But he qualifies. We're we're redefining child today as well because apparently you can be a child well into. I saw the
2: film as a child, okay, young adult. There was a star in it.
1: Yeah, in Horns, <laughs> he was playing a person who grows horns and has to channel evil essentially in order to stage a revenge but for, actually yeah, talking yeah, of Radcliffe and-, and he he did actually portray the the balance of light and dark which the movie expected of him which is interesting for the most boring man in the world from the Harry Potter film so the prize for most improved for me went to Daniel Radcliffe so you were a fan of him in the Harry Potter movies I feel like he wasn't given a particularly interesting character to work with, but he didn't <laughs> Actually, take uh, it. Actually,
2: the the sort of you know primadonna good boy Harry Potter characters quite boring and I,
1: I do agree with chris he, harry potter is nobody's favorite harry potter character
0: <laughs> No, <laughs> well no, way, very true <laughs> yeah. cedric, maybe cedric diggory for many out there shout out back to right. oh, that's, but no, <laughs> he, he's, he's had look he, Frank has had an incredible series of roles since he's uh, since he finished up with the, the, his eighth harry potter film but you know i've got a, and but i've got a shout out to Kristen stewart From the Twilight series, because you know, of all these actors, and yes, they've done a lot of projects, but she had the furthest to go. She was Bella Swan, the center of a either loved or hated franchise, and she was from a very early age, for those who have inside of a panic room, almost entirely associated with this role. And I s-
2: think we've pretty much gathered the entire internet with that sentence. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so beware the internet trolls. R. Pats versus Kristen Stewart is coming. But she, in the past few years, has made some absolutely incredible films. Personal Shopper, uh, probably my favourite performance of hers, which is absolutely worth seeing. Cafe Society, a film which wasn't one of Woody Allen's best, but still, she was a highlight of it. And in many senses, rehashing her, also a very good role for Adventureland some years earlier. Oh, that was very good.
1: She's, she's received a lot of praise for Clouds of Sils Maria. But watching that, I, I enjoyed her and the director Oliver Essayer's next film, Personal Shopper. But in Clouds of Sils Maria, I felt it was a lot of hot air and hype, to be quite honest. Sorry, Glenn. I I, uh, I had
2: the opposite reaction. Really? I loved Clouds of Sils Maria and hated Personal Shopper. Uh, so we're back to normal sort of dynamic <laughs> hey. between Chris and I. No,
1: I, I did enjoy the film, but her performance was what left
0: me cold. In Cloud My of favorite Sils Maria.
2: performance of Christian Stewart was in... Uh, certain women
0: I was about to say fantastic yeah,
2: yeah. And that was the actual only arc that I did enjoy in that film and Kelly Reichardt really brought out something in, in Stewart in a very grounded sensibility, which I didn't think
0: she possessed no, to begin hu- with. It's a hugely understated role in the most understated of all those stories. And to convey that sense of emotion and longing simply by standing across a table or going for a walk with someone or riding on a horse, it's very difficult, but she can. She has that capacity.
1: The- I will say the interesting thing about all of these actors is how many chances they're given. They're, it, it seems like the trend that we've just been talking about is the stars of major young adult franchises being
0: given infinite chances as indie darlings? Well, there's a reason for this. I mean, all these actors are people who have a built-in fan base, and there are a lot of people out there who will see every regular Mm. film, every other film. That's a great thing, which means they have the creative ability, with a lot of directors who they've potentially always wanted to work with, to branch out and do some really experimental stuff. And as a personal shopper and many others, it's proven quite exceptional.
2: And also, at the same time, I think it works for indie directors as well. If they do, can tap into that already existing fan base. and Definitely helps it, them get funding. Yeah, uh, not, not, just, not just that. And like, you're also expanding your audience space. Mm. I mean, a lot of uh, teenagers are introduced to quality cinema. Not saying that Twilight isn't quality cinema, but, you know. <laughs> I will, that's, I that's will another, say that. It's another fight. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, like, honestly, uh, I, I think that because of this sort of already existing fan base, you can sort of become a bit more... Cinema literate, if I can allow it, be a bit elitist about this. Who things. would think
1: that the stars of Twilight and Harry Potter would become the patron saints of cinema going forward for the, a new generation? But if these people, it seems like the trend for most of these actors that we were discussing is that they didn't really do much for us at first in their roles after their breakout success, but then they eventually won us over. But did they? Would these people have survived if they didn't have? The, you know Twilight or Harry
0: Potter over their shoulder potential I mean a lot of these actors Daniel Radcliffe included did many roles before Um, Ron Patterson had Cedric, Cedric Diggory which is no small fate and Kristen Stewart mm. was doing work from a very young age we mentioned with Jodie Foster and Panic Room earlier that's true that's true
2: and, and it's not just that I think it's, it's somehow remarkable that these actors would want to break out of their image and I think a lot of actors would be content with the fan base that they've got so just that they do want to experiment is it's a
0: positive it's fantastic Mm, so we're going to go to a short break Uh, we will be back talking about Michael Nyquist stay tuned working late office party or just plain hungry Crust Piedmont is your go-to pizza store in the Sydney CBD
2: Open from 11am until late, seven days a week. Crust Piedmont can deliver up to 150 pizzas per order using the best equipment to ensure your gourmet pizzas are delivered fresh, hot and on time.
0: So no matter if it's for your workmates, the whole office or just you, you can order online via the Crust Pizza app or call the store on 9566
2: 1933. Crust Pizza Piedmont. Proudly sponsors 2SER 107.3.
0: And we're back on Film Fight Club. Now, there's been some sad news in the film world this week, and that is that Swedish actor and performer, Michael Nykvist, who many of you know from a number of exceptional films, John John Wick, the Gold Dragon Tattoo series, Frank and Lola, uh, has passed away. At the age of 56, way too young. Very much so. And he was hes he was a very diverse actor. He'd performed in uh, he's not just he was very well known in Sweden, but he'd moved over into the u s. cinema, a lot of other films. you would have recognized him in any number. And I think we all have our favorite Michael Nyquist performance.
1: I confess that I haven't seen as much of his work as I probably should have, but I was really impressed by him in John Wick, yeah, right. I, oh. That could have easily been. Uh, completely bland villain performance, like the one that he was given in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol,
0: no fault of his own. How dare you, Chris? (laughs) But but even in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, I mean, it wasn't a great film, but he still had the stoic, okay, you you believe this guy would just want to start nuclear Armageddon on the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it it seemed like they... In that film, they were afraid to really give take any camera time away from Tom Cruise. Mm. So we didn't really get to explore his character. But in John Wick, we got a fantastic Bond villain type persona as the head of the Russian mafia. Uh, this guy in whatever city, John Wickistan. Uh, <laughs> John Wickistan.
0: <laughs> you a city a where everyone's an assassin, <laughs> yes. apparently.
2: Uh, actually, <laughs> but... like, it, it does operate in its own universe, so it's probably fair. Which we're okay with.
1: Yeah, but in that, he he was magnetic. Uh, anyone who's seen the film will know what I'm talking about when they think about the words, Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga.
0: But there's, there's a few understand moments, too. Earlier, when he first learns about what his son's done to Don Wick, he just goes, yeah. oh and puts down the phone. And he's very funny. I mean, John Wick is such a dark, serious character. And there's there's a few great scenes where John Wick rams his car. It's like, John, what have you done? The end scene, the car chase, where uh, he's yeah, grabbing the gun I from like the snake he, guy. he's
1: laughing. He's yeah, laughing. Yeah, that's right. The guy. It's, it's, it's Right from the beginning of the film, when he, he learns about what's coming to him, his character is alternating between fighting because of his macho mafia boss thing, yeah. and that's what you do. And laughing at his fate and accepting yeah. the madness that's to come. And Michael Nykvist actually pulls this off. Yeah,
2: And actually a sort of uh, changing tag from, you know, sort of comic absurdity to very serious. The Swedish version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I prefer over the David Fincher, Rooney Mara, and, you know, Daniel Craig version. Ooh, that's,
0: that's a big that's a big fight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So uh, I thought he outperformed Daniel Craig and his counterpart because yeah, I absolutely. thought he was the best thing about that entire series, and once again, he was someone who really underplayed his role, and that was not easy to do, because that's a performance that could once again be very broody and very existential very quickly, and yet he brought nuances to it.
0: Yeah, that role, uh, the God of Dragon, his series more broadly, the Glasses trilogy, is huge and hugely consequential within Sweden, and he did it justice. He did Neil Blanc- uh, 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 the character justice, and it was Really well done. And I think going back to what we were saying earlier about him, he was someone who could balance the really serious ex role with the really comedic aspects. Um, Frank and Lola Uh, was a film from a few years back where he had a short role, but it was a very difficult role because one particular scene where he's introduced, it had some very difficult dialogue which you could be potentially laughable in some aspects from another actor or another performer. But him working with Michael Shannon, oh, it's just one of the best-performed scenes I've seen in a long time.
2: And I think he's one of those, uh, I think this is something which I'm going to borrow from what Ben Mendelsohn said. It's something that, you know, as an actor, you have an impulse to be the hero in every scene that you're in. And that's something that Michael Nyquist understood. He resisted that impulse.
0: Because it's not about being the hero. It's about playing what's on the page and doing that justice. And he also performed in As It Is In Heaven, the film that I think played at the Hayden Orpheum more than any other more film. Than
1: any film in, in history because it's the ultimate senior's Sunday
0: afternoon matinee movie.
1: I wonder how many people walked out of that. Oh, well, sorry. That's not a Malik
2: film. I forgot. Right? Yes,
0: uh, yes we, uh, that was last week, Farad. But look, <laughs> look, he... And I, I do have to give a shout-out to one film he did called Abduction, which has a personal importance to me because it's actually... Uh, it's. I think it might actually be the first film I ever reviewed. There's a review somewhere in IMDb where I've like written up what I thought of Abduction, and it, I absolutely loved <laughs> All
2: it. All right, this is a shout-out <laughs> and actually a challenge to our listeners. Wait, is this the Taylor one? This is the Taylor okay. one, yeah. Oh. And
0: he was actually... Re-
2: no, this is a challenge to our listeners. Please go and search up this review by Glenn. and if you okay. can tell us where this was, uh, I'm going to give you a prize. I'm not going to tell you
0: what. Uh, and and you know, if I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's actually worth catching. It's a lot of fun, and uh, he, he's this comedian. I'm sure Glenn. <laughs> it, it is. Sure. So
1: <laughs> is your is your favorite. Breakout actor from young adult franchise Taylor Lautner. <laughs> oh, well, oh. he he
0: is Team Jacob, from what I remember. Again, that's next week. But no, uh, <laughs> yes, we haven't talked about Taylor Lautner. But he he had a few films he was planning on doing. But I don't like, I don't know. What it wasn't that like guy him. murdered
1: by Seth MacFarlane
0: in the closing <laughs> credits of <laughs> Ted? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that- May as well have been right. He, well, just, was- he disappeared
0: off the face of the universe after that. Yes, he did. He did. Uh, so <laughs> back to Michael Nyqvist. Look, he was look, he was an absolutely phenomenal actor. He has a couple more films coming out. One of Gerard Butler who posted a very moving message on social media about it this morning, and he will be missed. Now, speaking of major film news this week, uh, there is the big news in the film world: is the firing of the two directors...
1: Yeah, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who you might know from the Lego movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, their animated series Clone High, and more recently, 21 and 22 Jump Street.
2: All um, films that I loved.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're actually, I think, very talented... Um, very talented comedic voices who are also, in my opinion, great action film directors. So they seemed like the perfect choice for the Han Solo movie, which yes, they untitled were... Untitled Han Solo Untitled movie, yeah. Han Solo movie which they had been shooting since february but in a fairly unprecedented move for contemporary hollywood they were fired with just weeks left in the production it's it's been thought for a long time that directors have all the power in hollywood but it really seems like what a joke yeah it's it really seems like that's shifting that we're entering into a Period of more and more producer control in this Marvel universe-dominated well, cinematic uh, landscape.
0: Well, we can extrapolate it like that, but at the same time, this it was the decision by Kathleen Kennedy, Lawrence Kasdan. This is the people; these people, producers have been, and screenwriters. Yeah, people have been yeah. with Star Wars since it started. Hmm. And, oh, yeah. Kathleen
1: Lawrence Kasdan has been, but uh, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, she's had. Tangential relations yes. to Lucas, but no. it's only it's only really become her baby of late, and now I think she's been trying to steer a house style for Star Wars.
2: Yeah, we, I agree. Actually, that's something what I'm scared about is why not? If why can't Star Wars be goofy? I mean, exactly, it's operating in that very yeah, goofy universe. To, so you know, to, it's not serious.
1: That we we have to be clear that we're speculating a lot about what's happened because as is the case with these sorts of events. A lot of the information here is tied up in non-disclosure agreements, but the Hollywood Reporter did a story with a lot of anonymous, for legal protection reasons, sources involved in the production where they explained the gist of what happened, which is apparently that Phil Lord and Chris Miller were veering from the script, which was very reverential and faithful To Han Solo and the Star Wars mythology, and instead creating something much more loose, improvisational, and goofy, they were turning it into uh, an off-the-wall comedy akin to the Twenty One Jump Street movies.
0: Again, we don't know. It is um, this is this is what's been suggested. It's been suggested, but it's uh, it's entirely possible. And Mm. with Star Wars, yes, there is a. Uh, inclination in many cases for many people particularly fans to stick to the letter of what Star Wars is and what has been written by the screenwriters but at the same time one of the greatest lines in Star Wars history Han Solo saying I know was was improvised improvised on set that's a very good
1: point I think a lot of magic comes when you leave caution to the wind a little bit but yeah, nice reference to Gone with the Wind. You
2: know, yeah, the exactly. other
0: film, which also suffered a similar fate. Yes, it did. Uh, Victor um, Fleming was... George Cucor was replaced for Victor Fleming in 1939, and that year, O's the Wizard of Oz director was replaced. And I, I, I honestly can't think of a time... I mean, it does happen on some smaller Superman,
1: Superman 2, I believe, would probably be the last time that this happened in such a major way, where Richard Donner was replaced by Richard Lester in that, 1978.
0: But That was very reason because they were filming the two together, and he had to edit the first one while trying to film the second one, and it just wasn't Mm-mm. working out, apparently. What, what, what's...
1: what's
2: even funny is that the person they brought in to replace these two directors, Ron Howard.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> someone who is been a Star Wars fan in seventy-seven. Yeah, someone who, is someone in who was in George Lucas's American Graffiti.
2: He was in Happy Days, guys. He he. he can't get more w- go- he's
1: associated w- with goofiness, but. Today, I think he's more associated with unadventurous filmmaking, following the script or the book to the letter, as we see in the case of his adaptations of Dan Brown or In the Heart of the Sea, or his most successful recent film, in my opinion, Rush. They, these Some of these films are enjoyable, but they're all quite bland. It seems Maybe that's
2: what, uh, from what has been suggested, that the producers and screenwriters want. They want to buy the book to the letter, reverential Han Solo film, which I will never watch. We don't know.
0: I mean, the thing is, different directors, including J.J. Abrams, have taken Star Wars in different directions. There was huge controversy when the studio said Rogue One needs to be reshot in whole parts. People were scared because they looked at the original cuts and the little trailers and thought, wow, this is great. And Rogue One turned out to be hugely popular. And I love it. It's one of my favorite Star Wars films.
1: I found it kind of unadventurous especially considering what the early teasers were suggesting I I really know well, the rogue opinion yeah, on, on the panel I, I really agree with what Virat was saying before which is like, why can't Star Wars be goofy why can't it shift with the times Why I, I feel like it. everyone loves Star Wars but if Star Wars can't change it's going to be in my opinion the undoing for this, this new series because we can only stay in
0: 1977 for so long so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Star Wars over the coming months and years there will be uh, adaptations and new episodes or versions each year. Uh, we have a minute left in Film focus. so I want to say quickly what we're each excited for coming up in the next few weeks for art. I'm going to talk about an Indian film called Jagajasus because that's produced by Disney. And Disney
2: is shutting down its Indian film production arm. This is one of the last films they're going to produce in India. And it's a fantastic sort of absurd comic musical that's coming out on July 14th and very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd love to go see it. I'm really looking forward to catching Baby Driver, which is the new film from Edgar Wright, an incredibly talented action and comedy director, making his second American feature film, it's getting very good early buzz, and we'll be talking about that in the either next or the following episode of Film Fight Club.
0: Yes, I know I'm very, very excited for that, but I'm also excited for the Melbourne Film Festival, which is... As we all are. Yes, they're launching the full program on the 11th of July. The th- opening film is, as has it had to be, Daniel Radcliffe in Jungle... Full Bagley Circle. Style. Yes, uh, oh absolutely and we'll discuss uh, the,
1: the- m- MIF lineup perhaps in yeah July 11th